You know, today I want to talk about something a little different. I want to talk about announcements. And I know that you love them. You sit on the edge of your seat whenever we play them in here. You think all week about church announcements. So I'll give you one just to sort of tease you a little bit. Uh, Christmas Eve, we'll have four services. We'll have our normal 8.30 and 11 because it is a Sunday. 8.30, we'll have more traditional Christmas music in here. You'll have kind of what you've been experiencing this morning. At 4 o'clock, we're having what we call a community service. And even if you go to one of the morning ones, perhaps that would be where you would invite a neighbor. Uh, it'll be a, a little bit more approachable for, for people who don't normally come and worship with us. And then at 11 p.m., we will have our candlelight communion service. All four of the services will be candlelight. Uh, we will end with silent night because that's what you do. But the evening, the 11 o'clock p.m., will also be a communion service and uh, if you would uh, think now about making your plans for one of those four, so announcements, aren't they fun? <laughs> I love announcements that are online. It's a boy. She said, yes. Look at our graduate. Baptism. A 1968 Camaro that Alan could afford. I love announcements because they are in their inception this breaking news that we all really need to deal with. And today we're going to deal with an announcement in Luke chapter 1. An announcement that changed everything. Uh, an announcement that after that announcement, nothing is the same. An announcement that was breaking news, both because of the one who brought the announcement and the one who received the announcement, and what that announcement means for all the rest of us. And I'll go ahead and, and, and shock you with the spoiler alert. That announcement was that God's presence was meant to be among us, that we were meant to be aware that God is with us, that we were meant to live every day with an understanding that, that He didn't remain in heaven and just be distant from us, but that He decided to be among us. And so, it's an announcement where after that announcement, nothing is the same, and it was a very unlikely recipient. Now, you were here last week. Brian, thank you. Amazing job that you did last week. I appreciate uh, you uh, allowing me to be on a plane for Breckenridge, Colorado, where I did ski and um, came back relatively intact. I'll let you deal with the relatively part in your prayer life. But he talked about the, uh, 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 the announcement to Elizabeth, a non-degenarian, 90-year-old, who was told she was going to have a baby. Well, actually, her husband was told. And he was told while he was at church. And he didn't believe what he heard, so when he came out of church, he couldn't talk about it. And it was not until later that he was able to speak and say that he was going to be a daddy. Well, 
Gabriel was the angel who gave her that announcement, and apparently he had a busy month because he shows up again in our story today. And so where we are in the story is that, that, that now this, this Zechariah or Zacharias or Zechariah, your Bible may have all of those, they're the same guy. He sort of faded into the background, and now we have a story about how God is speaking to a very average young lady. Now, I know that I could get in trouble in some places by saying that the Virgin Mary was average, because she was not. She was the mother of the Savior of the world, but, but she was just a teenage peasant girl who lived in a backwater town in the middle of nowhere. And I say that because it's important. Last week, we talked about a priest who was serving in Jerusalem at the most holy place in all of Jerusalem, in all of his fine robes, surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees and, and people who were respectful of the, the eliteness of the temple. And now we have a contrast to that that I think is on purpose. I think Luke is trying to say Zechariah was in a place of affluence. Mary was in a place of poverty. Zechariah was known by lots of people. Mary was known by almost nobody. Jerusalem is the very center of worship in that world. Nazareth was this backwater town that in Jesus' time, somebody said, what good could come out of there? And so I think Luke is on purpose setting up this contrast for us so that we can see the accessibility of God, so that we can understand that His presence is not meant for deep inside the temple, but it's meant for all of us to hide deep inside our hearts. So if you would open up your Bible to Luke chapter 1. And let's catch up with the story a little bit. The story here picks up and it says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth. Now, there's so much in that verse, and, and pardon me for being a little bit professor for a minute. In the sixth month, that refers to Elizabeth's pregnancy. So the, the story we heard last week, now she's six months along, and, uh, and, and so the time stamp here is not Mary, but Elizabeth. And so Gabriel, apparently having a busy December, seeing all the relatives, he was sent to a city of Galilee. Galilee is north in Israel, Jerusalem is south. Last week he's in Jerusalem, this week he's in Galilee. I guess angels can fly. I've heard that. Now he's to a virgin and makes sure that we know that Mary has never known a man, and she is betrothed or betrothed, which is a legally binding engagement. Now, you, you don't get to just hand the ring back and say, can we still be friends? This is something that you would have to have a divorce, a, a legal divorce in order to break this arrangement. Gifts had been exchanged, promises had been made, and, and all that was left was the wedding ceremony itself. And so she was betrothed, betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. 
Now, that's also important. The Scripture I read from Isaiah a few minutes ago, 800 years before this took place, was to tell us that Jesus would be from the tribe of Judah or, or from the line of David. Now, I don't know how much you know or care about last week's sermon. Brian and I cared. But Zechariah would have been from the tribe of Levi, had to be in order to serve in the temple, a Levitical priest. And so, at the very least, Mary's mother, who was Elizabeth's sister, was a Levite. And so, the Levite family married into the Judah family, and the result was that because the father was from the tribe of Judah, the prophecy was fulfilled. It's kind of cool how God works out the details. And so it says, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, I'm going to come back to that, but that's kind of what we're talking about today. If you've ever had a Catholic background or known of Catholic friends, this is a real important line in the rosary, hail Mary full of grace. That's the the Latin translation of what I just read. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Let that sink in. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That there is this this sense, the Bible calls it incarnation, where God decided to become one of us so that we could understand what he was up to. And that's, that's what's going on here. And she was greatly troubled at that saying, I get it. She didn't understand what was going on. So the angel said, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And here's the big announcement. You are going to have a baby. In your womb you will conceive. You will bear a son. You shall call him Jesus. Now, a minute ago, we said that he's called Emmanuel, God with us. This is the name that indicates that he is Savior, Jesus, Joshua, Savior. You, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give, him to the, to give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. All house of Jacob means is a phrase that means all of Israel, and by extension, all of us. He will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Unlikely recipient. Unlikely message. As we move on through the Scripture, let me, let me pause there and have a couple of what-ifs. What if God still speaks that way today? What if he still speaks to unlikely recipients? Many of us will think, okay, I know that I have something valuable to say to my neighbor, my friend, my roommate, my uh, college professor, my fill-in-the-blanks. I know that I have something valuable to say. I know that God has reached into my heart. He's forgiven me of my sins, and that's something incredibly valued. It's like a cure for some disease. I know that I've discovered something, and I am terrified to tell anybody because I don't know enough Scripture. I don't have enough knowledge. 
I, I wish I knew as much as Brian does. I, I, I wish I fill in your podcast of choice. What if he still speaks to unlikely recipients and says, I've got something that only you can do. I've got a message that only you can speak. I, I've got a relationship that only you can develop. What if he reaches into our unlikely places still with the Holy Spirit speaking into us? What if he still does that just like he did with this announcement? Just like he did with this promised presence? What, what, if, what if he speaks to middle schoolers? What if he speaks to octogenarians and nonagenarians and centenarians and, and those are the only anarians that I know? So what if he still does? What if this story is replicated thousands of times just like when you see all those mission partners? At some point, he reached into their lives and he says, I have an assignment for you. What if God still does that? What if he's told you to do something? So as this story unfolds, we've got this remarkable transaction that takes place, and it involves the Holy Spirit. She says, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? That's why we call her the Virgin Mary. The angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That, that's way early in Luke's gospel. So we've met God the Father. God is with you. The Lord is with you. We've met God the Son. He's going to grow in your womb. And now we meet God the Holy Spirit. He's got an assignment for you. And we get this whole big blown up version of who God is and what he's about in our lives to understand that he is Father, Creator, Sustainer, that he is Son, Savior, Redeemer, Friend, that he is Holy Spirit, Teacher, Guide, Comforter. And all of this is, is broken open to this uneducated teenager who receives this message in absolute wonder. So, this incarnation must have been the plan from the beginning, that God's presence is the design. And if you think about all of your favorite Bible stories, that makes sense. Adam and Eve, God is with them in the garden. Noah, God tells him to build the ark. Moses, God shows up to him on the mountain. Daniel shows up in the, the lion's den and the fiery furnace. That, that over and over we see through the Old Testament, and Mary certainly would have been familiar with the Old Testament, especially if she had Levitical priesthood in her family. And over and over through the minor prophets, the major prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Hosea, Obadiah, there's this constant theme of God's presence. Apparently, that was his design from the beginning. <laughs> and yet we struggle to think that he's with us. We, we struggle sometimes to think that God could, could see me, this insignificant person, and actually be present in my world, present in my life. Look at how this story unfolds. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Verse 35, 
The power of the Most High will shadow you, overshadow you. There will be a child born. He will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, I believe we would use the word aunt. Some of you say aunt. And in her old age, she's conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Didn't have any kids until she was 90. And then here's sort of the the drop the mic moment for nothing will be impossible with God. I don't know, my world as a pastor, I've seen a lot of things that should have been impossible that weren't. I've seen a lot of healing and I've seen a lot of things that that, that we know that if God wasn't in that, that it wouldn't have happened. And, And that should be a pastor's life goal. I wanna see stuff that if God's not in it, it's not happening. Every worship service, if if God's not in it, you just go leave and look for lunch. But if God's in it, you leave with a different kind of hunger. I want to know more. I I want to be closer. I want to to have a, a greater sense of what I just tasted in there. Every worship service that we ever had should be a celebration of God's presence. It should be a sense that He is among us. He is with us. And that we could come to the conclusion that nothing is impossible with God. That's the Isaiah verse. Some of you may or may not know that this was 800 years before this. It was 400 years before the 400 years of silence that Brian talked about last week. That the the silence is broken by this announcement, this reminder, this, this incredible conclusion, this declaration I know you haven't felt his presence for 400 years. I know that you don't think he still visits us. I know that you don't think he talks anymore. But let me drop this on you. The Lord is with you. So he said to a poor peasant woman. And so Mary, here's another contrast that Luke gives us. She says simply, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Don't understand it all. But may it be according to your word. Now, again, let me just kind of bury the lead here. Compare Zechariah last week. Hey, old man, you're going to have a baby. What? Not sure about that. Don't know how I feel about that. Angel says, wait a minute. God just told you that this was going to happen, and you're not really feeling it why don't you just not talk for a while? And so the doubt that we see with the angelic announcement is contrasted with this humble sense of faith. (laughs) And sometimes we just overthink it. God said, I'll be with you. But what about when this happens? I'll be with you. What about this? I'll be with you. For nothing is impossible with God. So there's all of that, and we see this word impossible, and we see her response, and we go, what a wonderful Christmas story. Let's just tuck that under the tree. Maybe we'll read it to our children on Christmas Eve, Christmas morning. But what does it look like every day to acknowledge that God is with us? that He has chosen to be with us, that He sent His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. What does it look like for us to embrace that in the everyday? 
Well, first we have to ask, why does it matter? Why incarnation? What's, what's the purpose of Him being with us? Well, number one, we understand that God has sent us a Savior. This is the announcement that, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the Savior of your circumstances, that He is the Savior of your sin, that He's the solution of you going, there's a really dark place in me, and I don't know what to do with it. He's our Savior. That's the purpose of incarnation, and, and we would never understand it if He kept it in heavenly terms. But we're given a story of, a, of an uneducated peasant woman who was told that God was doing something great, and her simple affirmation of faith, whatever is going on, may it be according to your word. May it be according to your will. He sent us a Savior. Incarnation establishes that. He sent us a sacrifice. One of the questions I get asked all the time, did Mary have to be a virgin when Jesus was born? Did, did, this, did this have to be this way for some reason? And the answer is yes. The asterisk there is that God can do whatever He wants to do, however He wants to do it, but He chose to do it this way so that we could understand that Jesus was without sin. He was without a human father who would introduce human sin. He was immaculately conceived, and the Holy Spirit came upon her, and that when John the Baptist would say later on, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then that lamb, that sacrifice that would be on the cross was spotless. It was without blemish. Did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Yeah, he, he had to be different from us transcend it from us so that when he voluntarily hung him hung on the cross at the hands of the Romans that that sacrifice would bring together all of God's wrath and all of God's mercy and we could be forgiven incarnation means a savior incarnation means a sacrifice and in this text we understand that incarnation means a spirit the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus talked about that a little bit in John 14. He promised the Holy Spirit, and he, 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 at the end of that discussion, he says, these things, John 14, 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I've said to you. He introduced that passage by saying, if you love me, you'll keep your, my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, an advocate, a spirit, a guide to be with you forever, to be with you forever. I'll never leave you as orphans. And so this, this incarnation, this 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 thing that, that is so amazing and yet so acceptable to this peasant woman. It's meant for us. But how do we do that? There was a friar back in the day whose name was Brother Lawrence, or that was his friar name. I don't know what his real name was. And Brother Lawrence wrote a little pamphlet that has become sort of 
required reading for those who've studied this at all, and it's, it's, a, it's a very small book, and it's simply called Practicing the Presence of God. Look it up, on, get it on Kindle or whatever, Practicing the Presence of God. And he simply reminds us that every day is incarnation, that every day He is with us, that every day He lives among us, and that we practice that presence. And so in our story, there are, there are two things that happen where Mary simply practices the presence that has been visited upon her. He said way back in verse 26, the Lord is with you. And, and from then on in the story, she acts like He's with her. And so he told her to go see Elizabeth, and so in verse 39, she does. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. She's practicing the presence of God. She entered into Zechariah's house, and and, and went to the hill country. We, We get that she's migrating from Nazareth to the south and to the east to Jerusalem, which is about 2,100 feet above the elevation of Nazareth. So she went to some village that surrounds Jerusalem is where Zechariah lived. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leapt. He leaped. He's, he's six months in gestation. And babies move at six months. Amen, ladies? And so, John the Baptist, in the womb, gives a little karate kick, and Elizabeth goes, hey, something's going on. She exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, and this, why in the world is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She already knew through the prophecies that her husband had dealt with it, that this angel's announcement to him, and when he finally was able to say what the baby's name was going to be, that this was a divine intervention, this was a, a presence, a visitation that was unusual. And what we're trying to understand here is that it's really not unusual. This is the way God operates. He's with us by design. So behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord spoke to her. So she's practicing God's presence. She goes to visit her, her aunt, her cousin, whatever they would call it back then. And there's this, this exchange of encouragement. Isn't that just the way God works? When He gives you an assignment that's so difficult that you can't even believe it's possible? You say in your mind, your little mantra, all things are possible with God, for with God nothing is impossible. That's He's with us. He's present. Mary's still trying to get her mind around the fact that she'd never known a man and she was about to have a baby. I can understand the anxiety. So the Lord sends her to somebody who will encourage her. The Lord sends her to somebody who will validate that presence, validate that visitation, validate that angelic announcement. He sends her to somebody who will prop her up, and doesn't he do that with us? When we have a circumstance that's so incredibly difficult... When we have news that we can hardly bear, when we have a challenge that seems insurmountable, 
You don't have to go far to count on your fingers the times that He showed you somebody who would help you, somebody who would come alongside of you, so a song that you heard on the radio, a sermon that you heard, a podcast that you listened to, a book that you read, a friendly conversation with somebody, and, and, and it pointed to the truth of everything that was just stirring in your heart. And that's what he did for her. Practicing the presence of God. And what did she do? <laughs> she wrote a song. I admire and hate at the same time people who are this talented. She wrote a song that we've named. It's called the Magnificat, which is from the translation of the first line in this song, my soul magnifies the Lord. The scripture says, so Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So notice the pronouns. My God, my Savior, I am blessed, I am favored. And then she gets caught up in this thing. And all the rest of the pronouns are he. All the rest of the pronouns point not to her, but to what God is doing in the circumstance. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked upon the humble estate of the servant. He who is mighty, holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the mighty. He has filled the hungry with good things. And then another contrast. And the rich he has sent away empty. What did Jesus say was the first step in discipleship? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Incarnation, his presence is with us. His, 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 he's never not here. And in your car, in your difficulty, at the Christmas table where some of you like us will have an empty chair. He is with us. How do we practice the presence of God? Let me give you a list. Number one, we realize that His presence is constant. That it, it's not like the elf on a shelf, right? God, I'll call you when I need you. I'll come get you when I have something that, that I want you to handle. His presence is with us whether we want it or not. When we have begun a conversation, when we have begun a journey as a disciple, a follower of Christ, a child of God, when we have begun that journey, He is never not with us. His presence is constant. And so as we practice His presence, we realize that. We don't check in and out of our relationship with God. Secondly, we know that our brain is a battlefield, that our, our mind is, is constantly being given input that's not helpful for us, and that to practice the presence of God is to just acknowledge that our minds are, are a battlefield, that, that this world would have us see things, think things, even do things that would not honor the fact that God's presence is in our lives. How do we practice His presence? 
We understand that our brain is a battlefield. We understand, third, that our, our culture is hostile. I know it seems like it's getting worse. It is. We, we hear of, of university presidents and, and politicians and activists and all kinds of cultural influencers that try to tell us that God doesn't matter, that He doesn't exist. I was grateful to hear several athletes during the Heisman presentation last night speak of how God was so important in their lives. Because we need those voices. Our culture is hostile to the reality of the presence of God. Number next, His presence grounds us. I can almost promise you that within the next 24 hours, there will be something in your world that challenges the reality of the presence of God. There's going to be a circumstance. There's going to be a conversation. There's going to be a, a, a phone call, a, a diagnosis, a, a, a conversation, a, a correspondence, an email, a tweet that's going to rock your world and will challenge the fact that God is present. But it grounds us in that we can remind ourselves that no matter what we have to go through, no matter what grief, no matter what celebration, no matter what challenge, God is with us. Say that with me. God is with us. Emmanuel, that was the promise 800 years earlier. Last one. The presence of God in our lives calls us to worship. Our early service, 8.30 service, is a little bit more traditional than in here. And this morning we had a pipe organ that was kind of at Mach 1. (laughs) And when we did joy to the world or oh come all ye faithful or whatever it is that we did this morning it just it just felt right because it called us to worship it called us to acknowledge joy to the world the lord has come let earth receive her king and it was like how can we not be called to worship when we acknowledge that his presence is 24 7 365 and another day in a leap year How can we not be called to worship when we celebrate that whether we're a a middle schooler or a hundred-year-old or somewhere in between, that God is with us, God is in us, God challenges us, God has given us the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to tell us what we're supposed to say in any given situation. How can we not let our time in here, your time listening to your music in your car, how can we not redeem that time in worship with the understanding that God's with us? Would you close your eyes just for a second? Does His presence call you? Does His presence challenge you? Is there a a person that you have in your mind right now, a family member who will show up during the holidays to eat your groceries? Is there there somebody, something 
some task that God in his Holy Spirit is calling you to do? Is there an announcement to you of his presence in your life? It's entirely possible that somebody in this room has never really plugged into this story. Is it possible that this is the day that God has announced to you his intention to be present in your life forever? And that your task then is to respond to him and say, I want him in my life. I, I don't want, I want, oh, come all you faithful to include me. I want joy to the Lord. The Lord has come. Let me receive this king. Is it possible that you've never done that and that today would be the day when you say, I want to walk with this Jesus, this promised child. I want to walk with him forever. After the service, I'll be down front. Brian's here. Alan's here. Robert's here. A bunch of people around you are here. Start that conversation. Let that be a topic. How could it be that the Lord would come even to me? Whatever it is that I am, can earth receive her king? Father in heaven, thank you for the day. Thank you that we get to talk about this incredible thing, this incredible event, this incredible conversation that an angel had with a poor woman in Galilee, and that that's the announcement that changed everything. Father, let us receive this King. Let us acknowledge what the Spirit said, that you have sent a Savior, you've sent a sacrifice. You've sent a spirit. This is the gospel. Lord, as we worship, let us worship with a sense of your presence and not just to get it out of the way so we can go have lunch. Let us have a sense that you have said to Mary, you said to us, you said to the world, I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. And let us celebrate that in Jesus' name.